Hey, outliers. A couple of weeks ago, we decided to try something new, and that new thing is a newsletter that we call Cheat Sheet. You can sign up for it at outlieracademy.substack.com. So I'm going to start something new where I'm basically going to read through what we publish in this newsletter. I'm going to add some commentary each week, and we're going to share this on Thursday. And before we get started, I thought I would share a little bit of the context about why we decided to start this. So I've been doing Outlier Academy now for two years, and I think one of the things that is hyper clear to me is I spend on average three to four hours preparing to interview a guest. I then spend another 90 minutes to two hours, sometimes longer than that, interviewing guests. We have interviews that go up to three, even four hours. And so at the end of the day, we have two hours up to, say, eight hours of content and research that's been done for each and every episode that we have to try to squeeze into what we typically publish, which is about 90 minutes. And it's incredibly challenging. And so one of the things that I wanted to do both for myself as a challenge, as well as to try to deliver something of incredible value to everybody who follows and subscribes to Outlier Academy, thank you so much, by the way, is to try to compress down all of that into three ideas every single week which is brutally difficult, but the goal of doing that is we can effectively take for you 90 minutes, you know, hours of research that we've done and try to compress it into something you can read in five to 10 minutes. Five minutes is a little bit of a stretch. I'll be honest, it probably ends up being five, you know, closer to 10 minutes every single week, but it's something. And so we decided to start this. And so the goal moving forward is that every single week, there'll be a new 20 minute playbook episode on Tuesday a new long-form deep-dive conversation with a founder, investor, or author on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we're going to effectively take those past two episodes, try to condense it down to three ideas, and we're going to email it to you for free every single Thursday. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Go to outlieracademy.com slash substack.com. And you can get this newsletter completely free. And we don't even care if you subscribe to the podcast. Part of the goal of doing this is to be more generous with everything that we've learned and for me to try to express everything that I've learned for the guests in something that's interesting and compelling. So that is what it's called. It's a new newsletter that we call Cheat Sheet, and it contains just three of the best ideas, questions, or bits of wisdom from the podcast episodes that week. So I thought what I would do is share what I published a couple of weeks ago at this point for Abby Miller-Levy and Primetime Partners episodes. These are episodes 135 and 136. So you can listen to them. You can find them at outlieracademy.com slash 135 and outlieracademy.com slash 136. So I'll now go ahead and read some of the introduction. We'll get into these three big ideas and I'll try to add some commentary along the way. These episodes were all around aging, the data around us all living much, much, much longer. I'll go through some of those data points in a bit, but I mean, it's incredible. And what that means, what that means both for investment opportunities, uh, which is what Primetime Partners is focused on, but also what that means for all of us. You know, we're all humans. We all have to think about how we live our lives, the goals that we have. And what we cover in this interview, I think, tees up some fascinating things that are very philosophical in terms of how we all approach life. So it starts with a quote from Betty White. Uh, This one's amazing. It's live your life in such a way that if you die at 99, it's still too soon. It's a damn good quote. This week, we profiled Abby Miller-Levy and Primetime Partners, the venture capital firm Abby co-founded with venture legend Alan Patrikoff of Graycroft and Apex Partners fame. So Primetime Partners, which is a new venture fund focused completely on investing in companies that are focused on improving some component of aging, was uh, co-founded by Abby and Alan Patrikoff. What's fascinating about Primetime Partners is that they're completely focused on aging as a problem space, or what they call age tech. They're investing in companies that can help us all live longer, healthier, and richer lives for longer. 
Surprisingly, there are very few venture firms investing in it, especially given the overwhelming data around the size, growth, and value of this market segment. Before co-founding Primetime Partners with Alan Patrikoff, Abby Miller-Levy co-founded Thrive Global with Ariana Huffington and was the SVP of strategy and growth at SoulCycle. She also worked at McKinsey. She's worked at OXO. She's done a lot of incredible things. The three biggest ideas and questions from these episodes were three things. The first one, what changes when 50% of the U.S. population lives to be at least 100? The second, what kinds of investment opportunities does this create? And the third, how should this change the way that we think about and live our lives? So starting with number one, Primetime Partners' investment thesis revolves around this big question. What changes when 50% of the U.S. population lives to be at least 100? While that may seem like a distant reality, it's barreling at us much faster than you might think. One of the things I found that was fascinating as part of doing this research was an article that was published in Harvard Business Review called How Will Work Change When Most of Us Live to 100? I'm just going to read a quick excerpt from it. Today in the United States, there are 72,000 centenarians or people that are 100 or older. Worldwide, that number is probably 450,000. If current trends continue, by 2050, there will be more than a million in the U.S. alone. And according to the work of demographer Professor James Valpel and his co-researchers, 50% of babies born in the U.S. in 2007 or later will have a life expectancy of 104 or more. Broadly, that same thing holds true for the UK, France, Italy, and Canada. And for Japan, 50% of 2007 babies can expect to live to a staggering 107 years old. So what does that mean? That means that by 2050, there will be more than 1 million people over the age of 100 in the US alone, which is staggering. So again, that number today is 72,000. It's going to go to over a million in less than 30 years. That's more than a 10x order of magnitude increase in less than 30 years at this point. But there's a subtler point here. 50% of all babies born in the U.S. after 2007 are expected to live to be 104 or older. And this isn't a one-time blip. It's a tectonic shift in demographics that's happening across the developed world. And there's more. As the global population age 60 plus will more than double to 2.1 billion by 2050. So I've just covered a ton of numbers, but I mean, the big takeaway here is we are about to go through, we are in the middle of going through a massive demographic shift. And what that demographic shift is, is both a, a lot more older people. That's number one. So again, you know, the data point there is the global population age 60 plus will more than double to 2.1 billion by 2050. So a lot more older people. And then then the bigger note is that we're going to have a lot more people than we have today that are going to live to be over 100 years old. So I don't know about you. When I think about people that are 100 year old that I know, I think my grandma lived to be 102 or something like that. I mean, that feels relatively ancient. Someone feels incredibly fortunate to even get to that age, period. And so again, I think one of the most staggering points here is today in the U.S., we have 72,000 centenarians, people over the age of 100. That is going to increase by 2050, so less than 30 years from now, to over 1 million. Just incredible. So that's some of the data. Let's move on to point number two. What kinds of investment opportunities does this create? According to The Longevity Economy, published in The Lancet by Professor Andrew J. Scott, the estimated economic value of a 2.2-year increase in life expectancy for Americans age 50 or older is $7.1 trillion. So for every 2.2 years that's added to the life expectancy of Americans over 50, 
you get $7.1 trillion of new economic activity. With the average life expectancy in the U.S. at around 79 years today, an extra 21 years amounts to nearly $71 trillion of new economic activity. Now this, I'm kind of fudging the numbers slightly, or the numbers, I guess I should maybe say, are a little bit unclear here. You know, it, it technically, I think life expectancy, when it says average life expectancy, that means, you know, we have to try to get that up to 100. But the data that I've been looking at says that by around 2080, so, you know, by 2050, we'll go from 72,000 centenarians to over a million. By 2080, the average life expectancy in the U.S. should move to about 100. So that means that in the next 50 years, we should add just by life expectancy expanding around $71 trillion of new economic activity, which is just staggering. Primetime Partners is focused on investing in companies that will benefit from this $71 trillion economic tailwind. And here's how they describe their investment focus. Older adults control 60% of the U.S. net worth, not to mention the trillions that health plans and our government spends on this segment. As an investment platform, Primetime Partners identifies and builds businesses that provide the products, services, and experiences to satisfactorily address the needs for this 25% of the population. We support transformational companies that bring joy, purpose, and dignity to the next chapters of our lives. So what sorts of transformational companies could bring joy, purpose, and dignity to the next chapter of our lives? As it turns out, there's no shortage of wicked problems. One of the things I was surprised by in doing this research and talking with Abby was that you could take almost literally any aspect of what it means to age, what it means to be retired, what it means to not have a job and be living off your investment income, what it takes to be 50 plus. And if you look at what exists today, it is atrocious. And there's kind of two things that are true there. On the one hand, almost no one is actually specifically building products that are targeting older Americans or people that are say 50 plus. We're going to go through some examples in, in a minute. And these examples are great, but there's just not that many data points. And one of the other things that I asked Abby in the interview that I thought she had a great answer to, and was one of the things that was in my mind was, okay, we just talked about all this data that I think if any venture firm, any investor could hear this data, their ears would perk up and they would start to think about the ways that they could invest in this trend, because it's just absolutely undeniable what's happening from a demographic perspective. So one of the questions I asked Abby was, well, why aren't there more people investing? And why aren't there more data points of say unicorns or or companies that have gotten to a sizable size and impactful size and impactful valuation that have done really well. And she admitted that one, it's because there's not enough people that are focused on this problem. Two, there's not enough funding that's going towards the space. And three, some of the companies that we'll cover are very specifically targeting people that are 50 plus. But I think generally what I found really interesting is if you're a company that's doing retirement savings, for instance, you should have a part of your business that focuses and is tailored to people that are 50 plus. But so many of the problems of us living longer are way, way, way downstream. So what I mean by that is even if you say are focused on creating a better retirement savings platform, you don't necessarily have to just focus on people that are 50 plus, but you can take the data, take the perspective, take what it means, the fact that we're all going to need much more retirement savings in the future, and that can certainly influence some of what you're building. So let's talk about some of these wicked problems. Here are just a few. The first one is saving for retirement. As we live longer, we'll need to find ways to grow our retirement savings at a faster rate to make sure we have enough money to live comfortably for longer. 
Today, it's estimated that 50% of retirees run out of money within their lifetime, which is staggering and depressing, but it's a true stat. And, you know, we expect that this will get worse as our lifetime increases. So what's a potential solution? Well, a potential solution is IRAs that allow you to invest in alternative assets, including venture capital and real estate. And this stuff exists today. There's some great companies. Some examples are Alto IRA and Retirable. But again, I don't think there's that many data points. And I would say that the percentage, I don't, I don't know what this data is, but my hunch would be the percentage of people that have, have an IRA and could have a self-directed IRA that allows them to invest in alternative assets is very, very, very small. I would guess, you know, if I had to guess off the top of my head, I would guess 5% or less of the market. I just don't think the penetration is all that high. So that's one problem. Just saving for retirement. Big, big, big problem. Um, there's some new interesting companies like Alto IRA trying to tackle that. What's another problem? I thought this one was actually really fascinating. One of the things that Abby was talking about is obviously as soon as you get to say 50 plus, but especially once you're retired, if you're going to live for decades longer, one of the things that you might want access to is credit. And when you actually look at credit products that are tailored for people that are retired, which means you don't have income, you have a lot of assets, you have a lot of investments, but 60% of the household net worth is tied up in people that are 60 plus at this point. So they're asset rich, they're income poor, that should be underwritable, but today it's not because our credit models are broken. And so one of the second one I thought was fascinating is just borrowing money. Our credit scores are dictated by a mix of debt capacity, debt balances, and income. Living longer without income, but with plenty of assets means new credit models need to be created that deprioritize income in favor of net worth or assets or other things that they can use to underwrite you and be able to give you a line of credit. So what's a potential solution is a credit card or a line of credit that's based off assets first and income second. And, you know, why wouldn't this be available for anyone? Again, I think one of the big themes I learned here is, yes, you can be a company that just focuses on 50 plus. If you do that, there are a bunch of really specific implications. You have to think about, you know, from a name from a marketing, from a branding perspective, all of that's going to be tailored to people that are 50 plus, which likely means you're going to be excluding people and you're going to be turning off people that are not in that group. It's not a bad thing, but I think a lot of companies are probably going to do better if they're trying to create a new model, like a credit card or a line of credit that's based off assets first and income second, and just make it available to anyone. Then you're going to be able to serve people that are 50 plus. You're also going to be able to serve people that are not 50 plus. So that was an interesting one. And an example of that today, a company that exists, a company that's really interesting is called Sagewell. Number three is finding employment. And this is going to be the last one. You know, I could go kind of ad infinitum with some of these options. I thought three was, was a good stopping point. So the last one I shared here was finding employment. And I thought this one was, again, really interesting. So again, just for some context, if we're going to live longer, at some point, people are all going to retire. But I think one of the things anyone listening that, say, has retired parents can attest to is that so much of your identity, so much of your narrative about yourself, so much of, of just your, your happiness is your ability to contribute to others. What does that typically look like? That looks like working or volunteering. And we might not all think of our jobs as a way of giving service to other people, but at the end of the day, that's a big component of that. And so what I found is even with my retired parents at this point, I think they've done some teaching. They've done a little bit of work. It's much more volunteering. But, you know, I think a theme here is if people are going to be living longer, we need to lose the stigmatism and we need to lose um, some of the ability for older people to not be able to work either due to age discrimination or other things. 
So this problem is really interesting. Uh, one of the stats by 2024, workers age 55 plus will represent 25% of the U.S. workforce with the fastest annual growth among people age 65 plus. Yet AARP reports that three in five older workers have seen or experienced age discrimination. Potential solution, gig economy businesses and part-time employment opportunities for older adults. This is one of the things that Abby brought up. You know, I've noticed this myself just taking Ubers that a lot of Uber drivers or gig economy workers are are older. It's a great way for them to be able to have flexibility and still make some income and be able to be employed. And a really interesting example that Abby brought up is a company called Get Set Up, which effectively allows older adults to teach courses to other older adults as a way of obviously getting employment. It's a really interesting problem. I would like to see more. I would, did not find many data points here. Get Set Up was about the best one I could find, the best, most interesting company I could find. Massive, massive, massive problem that clearly needs more solutions. So those are the three. And again, just to recap, saving for retirement, borrowing money, finding employment. These are all extremely basic, extremely big problems. There should be able to be very large businesses that address all of these things. And they're all very unique problems to what we've been talking about. This list just scratches the surface as it appears everything from housing to insurance to long-term care needs to be rethought and rebuilt to better serve those 50 plus, as well as those that will live to be over 100. So that's point number two. The last one, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn here, and we're going to move on to a philosophical question. And that philosophical question is, how should this all change the way we think about and approach our lives? That was a question I hadn't even pondered until it came up in Abby's 20-minute playbook interview. As someone who has spent an enormous amount of time thinking about aging, what's broken, what needs to be built, Abby began to ponder what living longer might mean for all of us. And I thought her answer was super interesting. Might not be interesting on first blush, but this is one of those things that I have been thinking about has been on repeat, on loop in my mind for weeks now since since I had this conversation with Abby. And I'm just going to read a little bit of uh, what she said. And her answer was, I think it just means that there's different chapters. There's different chapters to your own personal development, to your own professional development, to your relationships, to your marriage, to just how you pace yourself. As we all live longer, we'll be faced with the challenge of what to do with that extra time. And I think said differently, we'll be faced not just with what to do with this time, but how to make it meaningful. And I think that is a massive problem. You know, one of the things that's come up as I've thought about this a little bit more is, you know, I think chapters is the right word because today, a lot of us, I think there's discomfort with living our life in, in chapters. We have a very hard time, I think, projecting out five, 10 plus years. We have a very hard time. I, I know very few people, I thought Abby is actually an amazing example. You look at her background. She's had many different lives. She's done many different things. And I personally am always inspired by that because I think it takes what can be a very linear life that a lot of people live and turns it into something where you're being more, you know, intentional, hopefully adventurous with what you're doing and you're taking swings. I mean, we're all here. We have one go. (laughs) I don't know why we want to be linear if we can, you know, think of life in a a bigger way, in a more chaptered way. So I was really inspired by this and I thought it was really interesting. And, And the crux of the problem as I kind of understand it, or what I think is really compelling, is not just, hey, we have extra time. How do you want to fill up that time? But it's, hey, we have extra time, potentially decades added to the end of our life. How do we make that time meaningful? And one of the books that Abby brought up on this topic is written by Atul Gawande, and it's Being Mortal, Medicine, and What Matters in the End. And I would just say the title might sound depressing. The book is actually very uplifting, but it has a very specific focus. And it's not so much around how to live a meaningful life when we all live much longer, but it's much more focused on at the end of everyone's life, you go through a very difficult period where you may not be able to find meaning. 
And you may be in a depressing circumstances. You may be somewhere where you've lost human connection with your family members or other friends. It's a very, I think, fascinating kind of window period in your life. And a cool tool Gawande has seen this. He's you know a surgeon by practice. He's largely approaching this as kind of a a meditation on what medicine can do, but also what what we can all do as humans to try to improve the quality of the end period of our lives. So that's one recommendation would be to potentially explore reading that book. Another thing that I added, we didn't cover this in the interview, but it's a book that's had just a massive impact on me. I continue to try to read it every year, every couple of years, which is Clayton Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life? And this initially came from a speech he gave to a graduating class at Harvard Business School in 2010. In the newsletter, I linked to a TEDx version of the speech. I couldn't seem to find the source speech itself from Harvard Business School, Um, but it's Clayton Christensen talking about this problem. And I think it's a fascinating problem because even if we're going to live to be 50, if we're going to live to be 100, if we're going to live, you know, another six days, pondering how we'll measure our life seems to be, I would say, a very, very, very important thing. So I would also just throw that out. If you're inspired by this topic, if you want to use this as a moment to do some reflection, I highly, highly, highly recommend reading Clayton Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life? And then here's a final question from Abby Miller-Levy worth pondering this weekend. And this, she said at the end of what she said earlier. So I'll probably just piece it all together so it makes a little bit more sense. This is was all said at one point in Abby Miller-Levy's 20-minute playbook interview. She says, I think it just means there's different chapters. There are different chapters to your personal development, your professional development, to your relationships, to your marriage, to just how you pace yourself. If you knew you were going to run a marathon versus a sprint, what would you do differently? I'll leave you with that this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this again, you can sign up for this. This is a weekly newsletter we're going to send out every single Thursday. It's called Cheat Sheet. It's completely free. Take 90 plus minutes of interviews, hours and hours of research. Try to squeeze it down into just three points that you can read in five to 10 minutes. Thank you so much. I'm Dennis Grivner. For more, you can go to outlieracademy.com.